Thanks so much, Jennifer. Uh, good morning, everybody. I thought we'd start off with a fun song. We, we've written lots of different parody songs over the years, um, which is a familiar tune that you change the lyrics and make it fun. Um, and raise your hand if you believe that Jesus is coming back again. Anybody? Oh, good. We're in good company. Uh, well, this parody, Marley's, Marley was after me for a couple years, said, oh, that'd make a great parody song based on Jesus coming back again. And uh, we just recently did it, so we'll do it now for you. Sing along if you know it. the 
Raise your hand if you're here. That's it. I hope you're here. It's okay if you didn't raise your hand. No judgment. Uh, we had a good night's rest last night. The lower temperature, the lower humidity was good. And uh, I hope you're excited for what the Lord wants to do for the rest of the week. Um, you know, I'm reminded, you know, we're still considered early in the week, uh, but it goes so fast. Really, from this point on, it'll be like, oh, it's Friday. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know about you, but I, I just, every moment I say, Lord, whatever you want to do in me this week, I give you permission. And it's good to talk to him like that and say, we know you have us here in a concentrated time instead of just a one hour on a Sunday. Um, do your work. He wants to do a deep work, and sometimes it just takes time. And it might just be in your quiet time today that he speaks to you, and that'll be exciting. But we've been talking about um, spiritual warfare, warring well. And um, in the last thing we were talking about uh, yesterday was who we are. If we really, truly understood who we are in the love that the Lord has for us, it would change so many things. So many things would be easier to grasp. Uh, we still wouldn't understand fully God's love for us, but we would just rest in him and know he has us and our situations, the things we face. We, we, we prayed with people last night. Mara, I don't know if you have coughed up. Feeling just a little dry today. Um, but we prayed with people that just really going through tough things. Uh, just couldn't believe how tough. And um, um, and we go through those times. You may go through. You may be going through a time that's just actually it's, everything's real smooth. Bills are paid. Kids are obedient. The dog lays at my feet. You know all those <laughs> great things. Thank you, Liz. Um, well, praise the Lord. You know, but as we know, things can change quickly. Uh, but we. It's anchoring on the Word of God and who God says He is and who God says we are that keeps us stable. It's our anchor in a time of storm, like the house built on the rock. Amen? Thank you. A couple more. Thank you. You're so sweet. Um, and so uh, I think we left off with John 15, 19, and it might be up on the screens and, and uh, the ones in the back. You can see a little better, I think, but uh, we see that there. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you're no longer part of the world. When did that happen? When, when were we no longer a part of the world? When we accepted Christ, we, when we became new creatures, we instantly stopped identifying, or we should have, to the things of this world. We're in it, but not of it from that point. And... Uh, God says, I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. <laughs> There's the result. So when, when tough things happen, when the world fights you, as I talked about our neighbor who we just need to love, but when the world, the world being the satanic system and all that goes along with it, that don't, people that don't know Jesus, I give them grace because if I didn't know Jesus, I'd be an ugly mess too. I'm ugly enough with Jesus. <laughs> so I give grace. But when it comes against you, you say, yeah, it's because I'm not from here. 
anymore. Praise God. Uh, so God made us in his image, and he's purchased us with the blood of Jesus. And this is called the bride price. In Jewish culture, when Marley and I do marriage seminars, uh, we do that from time to time, churches that host their own. We go through what a Jewish marriage is. And because Jesus refers, obviously, to the times that he lived, it's good for us to understand the Jewish culture in his day. And a Jewish marriage, uh, uh, a bridegroom, the man would pursue a woman, but he couldn't go directly to her. Uh, and I'm a young man who has worked under my father, who's probably taught me his trade, and I'm earning money. That's why the men were commonly older than the women. Uh, we know Joseph was probably closer to the age of 30 when he married Mary, who was, could have been 13, 14, right? Maybe 15. So there's that age gap because I'm working to establish myself so that I can take care of my family. I mean, we understand that practically. But when I pursue this girl that I noticed at the festival this year, I go to my father and I go, Dad, I, did you notice Marley? Do you know that family? And he'll, he'll say, yes, I know the Valades, her, her maiden name. I know them. He, they're, they're a good family. He's a good dad. Uh, they follow the things after God. They're, they're good law-abiding. Yes, I would endorse that union. Great. So I get his blessing, and I work, okay, to, to get money. Now, part of the thing, part of the money that I gather is the bride price, so that when I go and travel to her town and I get the courage, I, I don't approach her. I approach her father in the Jewish culture. I would never approach her. I go to him and say, I love your daughter. I've noticed her. You know my father? Yes, he's a good man. Okay. Her father could go, I don't know you, or I know your dad. He's a cheat. No. And that's it. Pursuit off. But if he goes, yes, I would, I would, I would, uh, my blessing would be on this, this union. What's the bride price? That would be his question. And it seems so romantic, doesn't it? We're going to purchase our girl. But in Jewish culture, the highest, the higher the, the amount of value on the bride price directly reflected, not that you're going to take care of my daughter, but how much you love my daughter. Okay? So I present to him the bride price, and you go, why present it to him? Very practical. She works for him in the family business, whatever it is. She could be making clothing. Uh, food, working crops, whatever, when I take her away, he's losing out economically. So this is to help that little bump in his economy. So he looks it over. If he doesn't think it's high enough, he'll go, no, come back maybe in a year. And I'd have to go back without even face-to-face -face with her, right? So, But if he looks at it and goes, wow, this is generous, yes, you have my permission, then I would pursue her. I would give her gifts. Uh, I won't go into the common cup, but there's just beautiful imagery here um, of communion. Like, oh, I'll, I'll say this. When I drink, I mean, once she says, yes, yes, I'll, I'll marry you, I break out this, the finest bottle of wine. I pour a cup in a common cup. It's a very different looking cup. 
This was the cup that Jesus brought out at the Last Supper. That's why the disciples looked at him and said, why is he using a common cup? He's using a marriage cup. What is this? This is what it is. Once I drink the wine, I pass it to her. Once she drinks the wine, it's in her mouth. We're not married. It's in her stomach. We're married. Isn't that interesting? That was the Jewish custom. If she swallowed the wine, we're married in every way except consummation at that point. So when Jesus brought out that cup and he took a sip and passed it, those disciples knew exactly what he was doing. He's going, are you all in? I'm your, I'm your, I'm your groom. You're my bride. You drink of that, you're all in. Till death do us part. Isn't that cool? I hope you take communion differently because it's saying I'm all in. Yes, it's to show Christ's death, but it's to show that he's coming back again for us. It's twofold. So that bride price, back to that, the higher the bride price, the more reflection of love. So what was Jesus' bride price to us when he purchased his bride? His blood, his death. How high of a price can you go than to die for the one you love? Wow. That's who we are. So when Satan beats you up or he wants to say, who are you? Let me show you what you've done. I'm, I've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. That's how valuable Jesus sees me. So you just let that soak in and go, you know what? The spiritual warfare stuff, God has my back. I just have to know what his word says and walk in truth. But that's what that is. When you talk about the master and the bondservant, uh, sir, uh, Paul often referred to himself when he'd close a letter as the bondservant of Christ. And a master and a bondservant had a very unique relationship. In Jesus' day, there were slaves or servants, but they were treated very well, typically. They were given a small salary, but really people on that economic level would love to come into an established home, work the cattle, the fields, and they would be provided housing and food. And when they would uh, work for a master, then there's the year of Jubilee, they could be released. And you're familiar with that, I'm sure. And they could start their own houses, their own families, uh, their own abode, right? They'd build their own house and, and be separate from that master. But if the, bond ser if the servant really appreciated the master and said, you know what, I want to stay with you forever. I don't ever want to leave you, even the year of Jubilee. You take good care of me. He goes, okay, you want to become a bond servant. That's different than a servant, right? Yes, I want to become a bond servant. There's a contract. You'd sign it, and the, and the bond servant says, I will always work for you till I die. I will always be a part of your house. And the master would sign it, and he would say, I will always provide for you. Always. You will always have a, a roof over your head. You will always have food in your stomach for you and your family who are serving my household. Then they go to the doorpost, right? And they put an awl in the ear of the guy, and they create a hole. They create a marking, an outward marking. We call it ear piercing now. 
but it would be an outward marking. So wherever that man would go, they would go, oh, he's a bondservant of somebody. He's a loyal servant forever. So when Paul says, I'm the bondservant of Jesus Christ, he said, I'm never leaving his household. In fact, I, I carry the mark. When people see me, they're going to know I serve the house of the Lord. Isn't that cool? What's God's? I mean, we got to get this because a lot of us are concerned during this time. Some, some have really had a rough time uh, financially. You put it back on God. If you're a bondservant of Jesus, you say your part is you will always feed me. You'll always give me a place to live, a roof over my head, and food. And there have been times, and listen to me, there have been times in our travel, really tight situations financially, where bills would come, and we're full-time ministers. We're leaning on Jesus moment by moment, day by day, and we don't know how those bills are going to be paid. And various times, we'd lay our hands on those bills, and not sacrilegious, not flippant. you got to understand our heart. We would say, Lord, what are you going to do with your bills? Because they're his. Why? Because I'm a bondservant. And he's always taken care of. Always. Always. So to understand the bride price, oh, just know who we are. And to know that we are bondservants, we are loyal to the house of God. And because of that, he will always take care of us. So we, we pose these questions. And I've asked these questions. I don't know about you. Maybe you can identify. Now, uh, go ahead and hit that next slide if you would. Now that I know Jesus, now that I've accepted Jesus in my life, in my heart, what is my kingdom purpose? Now that I'm understanding, I'm not just saved and waiting for heaven. What's my kingdom purpose? As we think about this warfare and we want to war well, the next question, does God need me in his fight? Does he want me in his fight? Does he need me? Well, God doesn't need anything. He has no needs. but does he desire me to be a part of this fight? And if I choose not to actively fight, is that okay? And I, I'm just being honest. Sometimes I've asked these questions because I don't like fighting. I don't like spiritual warfare it, as I think about it. I want things to just be smooth and I don't have to attend to anything. And I think of Jesus um, and uh, his temptation in Matthew 4, right, when um, he was baptized, then he went out, led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. Am I glad that he fought? <laughs> oh, yeah, there was a lot on the line there, wasn't there, as we know. I'm glad that he fought, and he fought with his own words, with Scripture, which defeated the enemy. Um, but when Jesus... When Jesus was baptized, of course, he, he wasn't baptized because he had sin to be buried. Nope. It was our example of dying with him and being raised to new life. He, he used that as an example, but it was kind of his commissioning service. If you know, we don't have a whole lot about Jesus between the age of 12 and 30. But that was him getting ready, being fully human, being fully God and fully human. He was getting ready for his ministry when he was commissioned by baptism he then was empowered, as the Holy Spirit came down, he was empowered to start his ministry. And that's when he started it. But it first started by the Holy Spirit guiding him. Read it. 
the Holy Spirit guided him into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. His human flesh needed that testing. I know that's a wild thought as the Savior of the universe, the creator of all things, needed the strength that was provided by that testing. Now, Scripture is very clear. God will never guide us into sin. You understand? He never guides us into evil, but he tests us. He allows us to be tested. Okay, and we know James 1, verses 2 through 4, which is the next slide. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it pure an opportunity for great joy. Oh, that's what it is. Great joy. I forgot. I thought it just was a burden. <laughs> I thought it was just a headache. But it's great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, oh, here, here's the result. Your endurance has a chance to grow. We need to endure. Why? We're waiting for Jesus to come back. We need to wait well. And this test help us to wait well. Let, so let us grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So there's great payoff with testing, as James says, right? Um, so, but it's important, it's important to note that you might be in a tough situation that the Holy Spirit didn't lead you into. He didn't want it for you. Your sinful flesh maybe guided you into a whole lot of heartache. He doesn't want you there. That's not the kind of test he wants for you. But he'll you, God, you raise your hand if you know God will use anything. Oh, I love that. He'll use anything. So the times I've been there, I look back and go, oh, he's, he used my stupidity. He, he's used it. Thank you, Lord. So he uses it. But know there's a difference between me getting into a sinful situation because of my own flesh Satan had nothing to do with it. He didn't even, he didn't need, I didn't need his help. I just did it because my flesh yearned it, right? And then sometimes we get into a sinful situation because we were barraged by Satan and evil spirits to be coerced. I mean, there was definite a warring going on that was beyond our flesh, and we, and we failed, and we sinned, and we got beaten down. And then there's times when Jesus says, hang on, I've ordained this. You're not going to understand. You never do. Not, not right away. But it's for your good. It's for your good. When we, I think we mentioned that we've been married 32 years in music ministry for 31 years. Uh, I, I served two churches as a pastor, as an associate pastor, one for three years, one for six the rest of those times, all interspersed in the last uh, almost 20 years, full-time just traveling. But our first, when God called us out the second time to full-time concert ministry, we miraculously had two children during the time period I served at a church because uh, our doctor said, you can't have kids. So we believed them. So nine years went by, and then all of a sudden our daughter came along. Don't you love when? When God trumps doctors, <laughs> I love it. He's in that business. So we have these two awesome kids, and we're in a house instead of traveling, and we're serving this church, and it's awesome. Things are going well. And guess what? Every week I get a paycheck, and it's the same number. 
<laughs> it's just fun. I know I, I, I can count on it. I've got insurance. I've got the car, the house, the dog. You know where I'm going with this. So we served this church for six years, and God goes, hey, I want you to go back out on the road. And I said, oh, we've never stopped doing concerts, but I knew what that meant, full time, nothing else. And I said, Lord, I, I'm happy to do that. We love ministering with music. Um, but now we have kids. And they've already grown accustomed to food. Didn't plan on that happening, but that's what happened. But you know that because you know all things. So, God, let me just tell you, I'm saying yes to you. But you got to provide another job, at least a good part-time job. Something that I, because we struggled financially. The last time we were out there full-time, just her and I. So, I'll wait for you to provide another job that will pay so that we can travel full-time. So, you know what he said. No. You go out, that's all you're going to do. And he said, don't say no to the smallest of churches and only ask for love offering and watch me work. And I said, okay. We sat, prayed. We knew that's what the Lord was telling us. He confirmed it over and over again. We resigned, put our kids at first in a, in a car, backseat of a car, pulling an equipment trailer. Then we soon got our RV and we were on our way. But that first tour... And I think a lot of it, I just think back to, is it was like a commissioning. And God needed to know, he needed me to know that I'm in, I'm all in. I've drank from the cup, I'm all in. Because we had one test after another that first tour. We left that January. Our first breakdown was Louisville. Now, the distance from Detroit at the time we were living, or had our house, to Louisville is not that far. We were going to Florida, going to Texas, going to California. I mean, we, this tour was long. And we already have issues in Louisville. And uh, I don't want to go into all the details, but it was a testing. It was God-ordained, in my opinion, of uh, the things that happened along the way. We got to Florida. One of the things we were going to do is help a church build a worship team for two months. So eight weeks, we had a a chance to build this worship team, and they gave us a, a little check for that, you know, which was little. It, it certainly wasn't what all that we needed. We still had a house, a mortgage, all those things. Two kids in the car. And we get to Florida, and we serve that church, and they give us that check. And I said, that's okay. I will go around to churches, and I will find other concerts. Because we're just love offering. Why? Pastors will say yes. I mean, it's not a budget thing. We're, you know, just have us come in Sunday night, Wednesday night, and just put a basket out, whatever it is it is. And God said, watch me, I'll provide. So I knew that was going to happen. So let me tell you, nobody in Florida wants Randy and Marvin. Not at that time. God seemed to put locks on every door. I would knock. Secretary would come, is the pastor in? No, he's not in. Okay. Tell him I was here. Here's my card. I'd go back. Yes, he's in, but he can't talk. Those kind of things. I'd be persistent. If you know me at all, I keep smiling and I keep doing it. 
<laughs> That's a bad rash. Just realized. Um, I fi- that, that one that one pastor. I finally got a hold of him. He he looked at me. He said, uh, "We don't need a concert." And I said, "It's just a love offering. Let us serve your church." No, thank you. Okay. There were just a couple concerts in the midst of all of that, and we were in Florida. Was it three months before moving on? So we were about halfway through this time period of serving this one church, getting a little check, a few CD sales, this and that. And um, God spoke to us. Did he speak to me first and then I shared with you? Poor Marley. I'm on my prayer walk and God says, uh, I, I, you're faithfully serving me. No, no qualms. But I want you to do something. I said, what do you want me to do? He said, I want you to give away half your salary. I said, what salary? (laughs) He goes, every dollar that comes in, divide it in half, give it away. I don't care who you give it to. Give it, just give it. Give it to somebody on the corner, mail it off. I don't want them to know where it came from. Just give it away. Came home to that house. I looked at Marley. I said, sit down. God said for us to give away half our salary. And she said, you know we're going down. I said, yeah. We're looking at our two little kids. We're far from home. I said, yeah. I, I, I sense that we're going down. I said, you want to go down giving? She goes, yeah. We got we got giddy. You know, it was like when laying hands on those bills. What are you going to do with these bills? We're your servant. You told us to give halfway our salary, half our salary away. Okay. We expected to crash and burn and just look at God and go, this is what you told us to do. As you know, we didn't crash and burn. From that point on, we paid all our bills on time. Ask us how, I have no idea. Because mathematically, didn't, it didn't work. I can go on and on with this story. Here's my point. God may put you through a time of testing, which shows us he's faithful. And it tells us he will always be there. He might tell you something difficult to do. And it's, and it, and it's this James 1. It, it'll produce endurance if you are faithful to it. Need to move on. We need to talk about Ephesians 6 and the armor of God. You talk about spiritual warfare, we've got to talk about the armor of God. Okay. Um, I'll read this really quickly. It says, it's Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 17, if you want to make note of that. And it says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers, authorities, unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, because we have all that going on, therefore, and I love the pastor that always said, if you see a therefore, go back and see what the therefore is there for. Put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy. In other words, you really can't resist without this armor, so it's important. 
in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll stand. You will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery darts or arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So we need to really quickly look at this equipment. Okay. Um, let's look at that next slide. I think I've divided these up. Yeah, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace, shield of faith, helmet of sal- uh, salvation, and the sword of the spirit. So the belt of truth, I'm going to go through these quick, um, was actually, go ahead and go to the next slide. That We might be able to see this picture a little bit. Uh, you see the leathery straps coming down in the bottom right uh, and the belt going around. That was a typical uh, Roman belt, and all, all things hung from that. Your sword would hang from it, and it would be girded. You know, you talk about gird your loins. Um, men wore these robes in, in the time when this term came out, and if they would be working, they would gird their loins. They would gather all this material and tie it real tight around their midsection so they could easily move, run, battle, they would do the same thing. Gird your loins because you're about to go into battle. You don't want to be encumbered by anything. And as you think of this vital area, this midsection and reproductive organs and everything associated with that, and I've done a lot of study on this. It's interesting. They talk about even the sexuality area is tied to our identity. Wow. You know, male, female, and who you how you're wired to be and who you are, your very identity can be linked to that area. Um, and uh, so we need to know the truth of who we are. We, um, the enemy is the father of lies. Every other piece of the armor of God is attached to that belt of truth. Okay, so when you think of the belt of truth, we have to start with our identity, the truth of our identity. Things really get messed up fundamentally early on when you don't know who you are. That's why I like to say, who are we? And really identify. We've, we've gone through this with our, our young adult children. The importance of identity. And you're constantly speaking words of truth. Why? That's where the identity is. The most vulnerable place in your body. You want to know the truth. Everything hangs from truth. From that belt of truth. Everything else hangs from truth. You need to establish truth. How do we do that? Through God's word consistently. Right? So, the body armor or the breastplate of righteousness, um, which you see in the upper part there, uh, righteousness means made right. Righteousness protects the heart. Yeah, up in the upper right, it would protect, obviously, your heart. So, obedience to God is a protection for your heart for being wounded with sin in the spirit realm, as you think of that. Uh, now, the shoes of peace or the gospel of peace, shoes that are referred to the gospel of peace, peace means oneness or wholeness. When we carry anxiousness or worry with us, we are robbed of peace. You can't be peaceful and worrisome at the same time. <laughs> you can't. They both can't exist. 
in your heart. But the gospel, the good news of peace, is you think of on, on your feet, the shoes that bring peace, is I'm standing firm, so I'm not going to worry. Why? Because I'm wearing peace. This is where we get our, I can't be blown away. Why? Because I'm not worrying. Matthew chapter 6 talks about do not worry. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, all the practical things we can worry about. Why? Because I got my shoes on, my shoes of peace. And I can't have worry when I'm wearing them. That's cool. Shield of faith. When Paul wrote this passage, Roman soldiers carried shields that were covered with heavy animal hide, which is interesting. It just, uh, before a battle, they would dip their shields in water so that when fiery darts were used in a certain battle, they would hit and be extinguished right away. So when I think of our shield that protects us from the fiery darts of the enemy, if we dip that in the water representing the spirit, and he's represented by lots of things, wind and fire. But to say, I'm constantly um, dipping my protection in the water of the Holy Spirit. When I hold that up, Satan, ha- he's got nothing. The fiery darts are just going to be extinguished. The helmet of salvation, like the breastplate of righteousness, it rests on the work of Christ to save us, but also involves us as we journey with the Lord to allow him to work that salvation into every part of our thoughts. So when you think of a helmet, of course, protecting your, your brain, all the <laughs> vitalness of our, uh, of our brains and our thoughts, but when you think of like Colossians 3, 2, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, and then it'll be protected. So you want to put on your your helmet, okay? You want to put on your helmet and make sure your thoughts are covered in the truth of God's word. And then the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is the only weapon that's both defensive and offensive. All the other ones are defensive. You notice? So the sword could be used for both. You can defend yourself with the sword, but it's meant to be offensive as well. Uh, quoting Bible scriptures is our only offense, right? Jesus is our best example in the wilderness when, and it, I, you know, we don't know the tone, but I'm sure he was just calmly quoting scripture. He wasn't screaming it. <laughs> he just, it, it works just fine by itself. Just get it out there. And that's a sword of truth. You're, you're speaking truth and you're defeating the enemy with your sword, which is God's word. If you quote yourself at that time, a a neat poem at that time, a feel-good rhyme at that time, Satan's going to laugh at you. But if you quote scripture, he's going to (laughs) shiver. He's going to shiver in his boots. So let's think as we're, okay, we're in an active battle right now. We know it's spiritual. It's coming against us, and we want to succeed. When it's all done, what's the goal? When it's all done, what does Scripture say should be our pose? Yeah, standing. Think of that. Think of that in the physical realm. That would kind of be silly. 
I'm just going to stand here, let you poke at me. But according to the armor of God, if we apply it correctly, we can stand there and we will succeed. And when it's all over, like Jesus in the wilderness, he's standing there and he succeeded. Then the angels ministered to him after that. But the proper pose is to still be standing. I, I think of, uh, you know, the American flag and how it stood the, the, the battle where Francis Scott Key wrote, wrote our, our national anthem. But it's just still standing, saying, we're here. We're still here. We are not defeated. So when you think of advancing, like in a battle, if your goal is to advance, what it might represent is in your flesh, you're, you're, you're exhibiting pride. I can, I can get him. I'm going to just keep coming forward. You've got to be careful. That's not what Jesus did. And if anybody could have done it, it would have been Jesus, right? He says, stand. It's okay. It's not a time for advancing in our, oh, I'll show you. Nope. The battle's already won, but we're to stand. If you think of retreating, and we're like, oh, oh, what's that? That's fear. You talk about humility. That's the ultimate humility. Ah, I'm going to die. I'm out of here. God doesn't want that, and he doesn't want us to advance in pride. He wants us to stand. So I often think of that. Just stand. Both, well, I want to talk about conviction versus condemnation because this trips up our brothers and sisters. We see it over and over again. Okay, listen, Romans 8, 1, you know it. So now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Okay, so when our sin is taken care of and we take on uh, the salvation identity of Jesus himself, there's no more condemnation. So when you think of a battle that you're battling and you're feeling feelings of condemnation, it's not the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.1 says it's not. What's condemnation when you feel shame? You just feel down, this horrible, heavy feeling of condemnation like, ugh. That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is conviction. Okay? Conviction is gentle and hopeful, always. Condemnation is destructive and shameful, always. Please know the difference between those two. Both those feelings give us a feeling that uh, we aren't where we're supposed to be. Right? But the Holy Spirit focuses us on how good Jesus is and Satan focuses us on how bad we are. That's condemnation. So I don't care what you did in the past. It doesn't matter. When condemnation comes upon you, you call it for what it is. You say, Satan, you're pretending to be the Holy Spirit to get me down, to, to look at how bad I am. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's you, Satan. And I belong to Jesus. There's no condemnation any longer. But when there's that gentle conviction of the Holy Spirit, and you know that, he might be pricking at your heart consistently over a sin or a calling, and you know it's him because he's gentle, but he's persistent. 
He's saying, you're not where I want you to be, but I'm here. It's the, it's the picture of knocking on the door, and I'm just waiting. He's always loving. We want you to know that. Because when people talk about, oh, you know, I'm just in this spiritual battle. I have been all week or I have been all month. And, man, I'm just full of shame for where, what I've done in the past, and I don't know how to get rid of it. <laughs> That's not the Holy Spirit convicting you. It's Satan condemning you. It's important to know the difference. Let me give you a couple quick verses here. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Hebrews, it's a couple slides, I think. Uh, Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son, Jesus, also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who had the power of death. Okay, because he died, the power of death was broken. There's, there's no more sting. The grave doesn't mean anything anymore. That was when that happened. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. So there's this fear of dying, eternally separated. We don't have that fear anymore because of the cross. Colossians 2, verse 14 and 15, and also verse 20. He canceled the record of the charges against us. Thank you, Jesus. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, what did he do? What happened? He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, just what we've been talking about in the heavenly realms. When you think of disarming them, you, you just picture Jesus coming up going, give me that sword. You're done with that. <laughs> so now all these demons are standing there going, what are they doing? They're pretending they have a sword. <laughs> I'm going to get you. And we go, oh, no, they're disarmed. Colossians tells us they got nothing but lies. And shamefully, I believe them too, too often, right? And he says he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Thank you, Lord. In that verse 20, you have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. That's good news. We can rest in that. So listen, there are a lot of saved people out there that are victims, and they're getting beat up. You want to be one of them? We could be saved and victorious. That's what I want to be. I want to walk in victory, not because of how good I am or how good Jesus is. I stand on him, I put on his armor, and I can be victorious. This next section of what are evil spirits, and I'm going to bounce a little bit. I hope this isn't too jumbled. As I talk about evil spirits, I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit because um, first things first, there's no fear when we talk about evil spirits. And like I said yesterday, if you talk about them too much, there's a problem. And if you don't talk about them at all, there's a problem. We want to have the balance that Scripture teaches us and how to handle this. The bottom line is that Satan and his demons only have lies. Okay? They lie about the power that they tell you they have. Let that sink in. We listen all the time. A fear will come in. A thought will come in, and we'll go, oh. 
They're lying about the power they have over you. They don't have it. Okay, 1 John 4, 4, we know this well. The spirit lives in you is greater than the spirit that's in the world. The Holy Spirit in you is greater by how much? Oh, lots. It's so much we couldn't even put a number on it. It's so much. Okay, First John, that's 1 John 4, 4. The spirit, Holy Spirit that lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. The spirit of evil in its whole. I love what Corey Ten Boom said. I love this quote. I came across it, and I'm like, I'm going to just remember that. The fear of demons are from the demons themselves. <laughs> We're not getting that from here, okay? If you fear demons, you listen to a demon tell you that, okay? So, so back to the Holy Spirit. I think because there's, and I talked to you a little bit of my upbringing. We didn't talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. Uh, yeah, he's a part of the Trinity. Yeah, he gives us understanding in Scripture. Beyond that, it was hard to even, we didn't talk about him as even a friend that walks with us every day, helps us in all the practical ways. Because of that, we didn't talk about evil spirits. If we didn't talk about the Holy Spirit, we didn't talk about the evil spirits. And so it's kind of hand in hand. So that's why I'm kind of um, bouncing a little bit. Churches that did talk about it, we, you, you're familiar with the ones you've heard or seen, uh, teachings that are unscriptural. And so they're like, you write them off, or, or they're ju- they just um, just out of balance. And it's, so it's easy to just write it off and go, well, I'm not going to talk about that, because there's pastors that screwed that up, and they just scared me. So the things we don't know fear us, or they can. They have a, a tendency to fear us, the things we don't know. Um, and if we don't, then... We, if we have that fear, we tend to avoid them. But we don't want to avoid anything that's in here, okay? That's, again, when we think of denominational lines, we write things off. we got to keep coming back to this. There's lots of good denominations, some that stress some things that others don't and vice versa. It always comes back to what does this say? And if it's saying something that I'm not actively understanding or participating in, uh, I, need, I need to say, Lord, I'm ready. Teach me. Teach me. We can't avoid it. If it's in God's word, we can't avoid it. I remember I was 21 years old, 22 maybe. We were married. Um, we were traveling. I was also doing a couple side jobs at that time. I'm driving to one of my jobs, and I'm listening to worship music. And I just had this thought, Holy Spirit, I don't know you. (laughs) And I said it out loud. Holy Spirit, I don't know you. And I want to know you. It was that simple. I'm driving. I'll never forget it. The Holy Spirit came in my car at 50 miles an hour and sat in the passenger seat. I didn't see him, but, oh, I felt him. I started crying. I just, I knew I was in the presence of holiness. All because I just threw out this, Holy Spirit, I don't know you, and I want to know you. Bam. He helped me pull the car off to the side of the road, and I just sat there and cried. And I said, oh, 
maybe you're too close right now. This is something else. Whoo! But he confirmed to me, yeah, I, I want to know you better. I want you to know me better. You've had wonderful people in your life, disciples, people teaching you, but yeah, we got to get to know this, this relationship, you and me. I'll never forget that. Sometime later, we were invited. It was, there was a, like a crusade that came through Detroit, I think Joe Louis Arena. My folks were in town, and my mom has had issues with her back and headaches and stuff. And she said, oh, I'd love to go to that crusade. And just because that minister is common, commonly known as a, a healing uh, minister. He would pray and things would happen. And I said, sure, let's go. And I had to kind of think back on my denominational lines and the things that made me uncomfortable and go, I'm going to go as a child of God, not a certain denomination. I'm going to just start believing what God has for me. And I am going to go and trust in the healing from my mother. That's a good thing. So we went, my folks and Marley's folks went, we went. And I'm sitting there, and I'm telling you this just to tell you this simple guy who was very conservatively brought up that didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit until that story I told you about. And now we're here, and I'm trusting the Lord for healing for my mom. And let me just say right off the bat, she didn't get healed that day. I don't know why. It's okay. God is still God, and we're still praying. And that's okay. It didn't rattle me that she didn't get healed. But I'm sitting there about halfway through, three-quarters of the way through. I look up in Joe Louis Arena, and up to my left in this upper area, and there's, there's a big cloud. There's, I mean, there's, it's fog. I mean, like, why, what's going on? Why is there fog over those people? It's a distinct area. And I leaned over to Marley, and I said, you think we need to be concerned? She goes, why? I said, look. She looked. She goes, no. What, what am I looking at? I said, <laughs> the, the cloud right there over that whole section. Over there, the cloud, the, the, the smoke. You can't even see the people. She goes, I don't see anything. I said, okay. I sat there. I said, Lord, what am I seeing? Because I knew I was prayed up for healing from my mom, but the Lord wanted to show me something different. Just then, the evangelist said, look up over there. See the cloud? The glory of God has shown up. I look over. I'm the only one in our group that sees it. Then all of a sudden, I smell something. This is, <laughs> maybe you come from where I came from. I'm like, oh, they're piping perfume through the air vents. Cool. You know, I'm sarcastic. I'm thinking, I'm expecting something anti-God and a show. And I start smelling this fragrance. It is uh, a smell of just a floral scent that I have never, ever smelled. I knew I have never smelled that smell before. And I lean over to Marley and go, can you believe it? They're piping perfume through the air vents. She goes, I don't smell anything. Well, she can't smell anything. So I did, that didn't. I said, well, that's what they're doing. So the evangelist goes, you smell the smell? That's the fragrance of the Holy Spirit. 
So I sat there. And I just soaked in. I said, Lord, I don't know what you're trying to teach me. And I'm sharing this to tell you, just be open to what the Lord wants to show you. Because I was not taught that. I didn't need to see that or smell that to be a Christian. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember it was a cold, rainy night. And I remember smelling it as we were walking out of Joe Lewis when it was all done. And I kept smelling it, and I'm like, it really smelled good. And I remember thinking, as soon as I get out in the wind, it's gone, and I'll never remember that again. And I kept smelling it in the wind. I smelled it in my car, and I kept smelling it for days. I don't know how long. I, I, I just kept smelling it. <laughs> At a home, no, it, The atmosphere had no effect on me smelling that smell. And then all of a sudden, it's gone. I've never smelt it since. And so, you know, I share that to just say, I, I hope you come to the place like, Lord, whatever you have for me, I want it. I trust you because it's so easy to get cynical and go, I see things done poorly. I see people um, and ministers playing on emotions or, 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 or. We know, we know all those things. We don't know who's legit and who isn't. For us as a people of God, just say, Lord, whatever you have for me. If there's more to learn about you and your Holy Spirit, I want to know. I don't want to get to heaven knowing there were lots of things laid on the table that I didn't pick up. Okay, now, I'll give you a couple references. We're not going to read them. I talked about our sin nature. Romans 7, 18 to 20 talks about our sin nature. Galatians 5, 16 and 17, talk about our sin nature. Again, Romans 7, 18 to 20, Galatians 5, 16 to 17, talk about our sin nature. And Paul describes it very clearly. Until we get to heaven with new bodies, there will be this nature that wars against us. It's not an evil spirit. It's our flesh. This flesh is not entering heaven, just my spirit, and then I get a new body. So this will war against me, and it will always be there. Like Paul said, well, the thing I want to do, I don't do. And the thing I don't do is the thing I want to do. You understand that. I understand that. But then the evil spirit world, just as a note of information, they're not omnipotent. They don't have all power. You know that. They, they, God sets their limits and he sets their boundaries. That's comforting. They're not omnipresent. Our spirit, Satan, can't be all places at once. They can be in one place at once. Which means, here's a news flash for you. Satan has probably never met you. He'd be a busy guy if he met, and now I know he met Jesus. But he probably never met you. You've met some of his cohorts, an evil spirit, a, a fallen angel, a demon that could be in one place at one time. Here's another thing to just really understand. They can see and they can hear. So be careful what you say and what you do. Make sense? If you say, oh, I'm always, I'm always messing up the checkbook, 
they, they could jump on that and go, yeah, you're, you're no good. You're never going to get it right. You know, whatever it is, I'll just throw that one out. But be careful what we say. It's not magic. But if you say, you know what? I've had some struggles with the checkbook, but from this day forward, with God's help, I'm, I'm getting better. That's a better statement, isn't it? Our words mean something. When you pray silently, the evil spirits can't hear that, those prayers. I often think of that. There's some things I want to just talk to the Lord about without any of the, uh, the principalities checking in with me, okay? There's sometimes we pray with authority out loud. That's very important. But there's sometimes it's just the Lord and I, so be careful what you say, what you do. Each one has a unique personality or character trait. It's as interesting as you study them. Biblically, we know uh, as they were created as angels, they are now as evil spirits, and they're not ghosts, they're not humans. They're angel, fallen angels. They have a will. They have emotions. They have intellect, the ability to speak, self-awareness. Um, I think they all have names I, tied to their identity. Uh, you, Jesus said, you know, what's your name? Uh, my name's Legion. He had to answer. My name's Legion, for we are many. So they're tied to their identity, their, their name. We have uh, understood this as um, there, there's evil spirits of just lust, pornography, that category, sexual impurity. Uh, you've heard of Jezebel, the horrible queen of King Ahab, right? Her issue was control. So there's a spirit of control we've seen, a spirit of anger, a spirit of lies, a spirit of death. Spirit of confusion, fear, uh, fear is a big one. There's a lot of spirits of fear that are trying to come in, and that's their identity, and they're trying to put that identity on you. Um, you know, one I just came across that an author said, I really believe there's a spirit of sleepiness. <laughs> like, wow, that makes sense. I get up early, I get out my Bible, and I start to fade. I get out a, a book, a novel, Christian author. I can stay awake and aware. I read God's Word. There's too many times I get sleepy reading God's Word. I'm just being honest with you. And I say, spirit of sleepiness, get out of here. You're not going to affect my time right now with the Lord. I know what you're trying to do. If I get into the Word, that's affecting you negatively. And so think about that. So Marley's going to talk more about these, so I'm going through them kind of quickly common question, and I know some of you are asking this, we've been asked this, can a spirit be in me, an evil spirit dwell in me? And you call that oppression, right? Possession, possession. If they're in you, that person is possessed by an evil spirit. We, you know, if you're my age or older, you're familiar with the movie Exorcist. So this is why fear is rampant talking about this. Um, again, we have the victory, <laughs> okay? Uh, oppression means they're standing right next to you trying to affect you. Oh, I like that better. And, okay, if the Holy Spirit's in there, then, then nothing evil can be in there. I'm not here to talk about that. I have my thoughts. But we might deter from the purpose. The purpose is, do evil spirits want to affect your spiritual walk? Yes. They want to affect you negatively. I don't care how they do it, whether it's beside you, in you, by you, on you. Just acknowledge 
They're here to pester us, to sidetrack us, to cause us to fail in the kingdom of God. And the thief comes, as I said yesterday, only to kill, steal, and destroy. And that's their that's their mission statement. Um, wow, the time's going quick. I do want to talk about strongholds because that's often mis, mis, misconception, a term that we're really not sure what that means. When you think back in antiquity and castles, there were different strongholds. There were areas within a wall of a castle that a person can hide in for a benefit of attacking a castle. Okay, that would be called a stronghold. It's any kind of handle that somebody can hang on to. Now, there's good strongholds. There's scriptures that says um, that the Lord is my stronghold. Okay, I hide in the shadow of his wings. And so he's provided a handle, a hiding place that he calls. That hiding place is interpreted stronghold. There's a hiding place for me to stay safe uh, under the wing of God, right? So there's good strongholds, but this is strongholds, the evil spirits want to come in to these strongholds. They want there to be a handle they can hold on to. And so our job is to say, Lord, do I have any strongholds in my life? Is there anything that they can hold on to? And he'll start talking to you. There have been many times I've prayed against something in my life. And I said, okay, I got to get rid of that. And then, wow, what victory I had in that area. And I, and I saw it as a stronghold that's now gone and not their benefit anymore. But we, you know, some Christians, they don't believe in this at all. I mean, they go to bed in their castle, and they keep the door wide open, and they expect no enemies to come. <laughs> we gotta, we got to close up, right? we got to create these areas that, that, that are gone, these strongholds. Let's talk about territories. Territories, too, are so important because these are those dominions, places that evil spirits can go, can be, I talked about yesterday the Old Testament when God said, go into the land, and he didn't just wipe out all the enemies. He said, you go in and wipe out the enemies. That, that was their job. You, you wipe them all out. If you wipe them all out, they're gone from that area. Oftentimes, they would wipe out most, but not all, and the sinful, false gods of those people would continue for generations because they didn't get all gone. And God was clear. You have to clear the territory completely. Think of it now in today. We have territories that we need to clear completely. Okay? God says, clear this out. I don't, this can't be in your life. You got to clear this out. You're holding on to this. Whatever it is, whether it's tangible or intangible, um, we have to know that if we clear them out, they're not allowed to stay. There's so much more we can talk about this. I hope you touch on it. I know you will. So, the earth we know is evil spirits' dominion right now. But as Christ's authority, we can tell them to go. We have just as much authority as Christ had in this area. I know that's, that almost sounds <laughs> blasphemous. Jesus said, I've done these mighty works. When I'm gone and the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to do mightier works. And we have to believe that. We have that authority to speak and to clear and to say enough with these evil spirits. So God has power over evil spirits, and he gives us that same power. Need to wrap up, and I will. But I want to just talk about one. Well, let me just talk about the importance of a prayer life. If you don't have a prayer life, 
And what I mean by that is what? A consistency. A structure. It sounds so academic. But you want a structure that keeps a prayer life going beyond saying grace. You know what I mean. I don't know why the Lord likes early, early in the morning, but he often wakes us up early, early and says, I want to spend time with you. And I tell him, oh, I've got three in the afternoon open. <laughs> and he says, I want to spend now. Uh, but you, when you look at the example of Jesus and the prayer life he had as fully God, fully man, he would get away constantly, away into the Mount of Olives. He'd get away to connect with his heavenly father in prayer. If he needed it, how much more do I need it? That connection. You, we cannot be victorious consistently without a prayer life. And we could talk a lot about prayer. It's not bringing just your list to him, although he honors that. It's just list, a lot of listening and talking as he gives you utterance through the Holy Spirit. So importance of a prayer life. Ephesians 6.18, pray in the Spirit at all times on every occasion. Wow, that covers it all. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. I've struggled with this. Again, the way I was raised, you're, you're water baptized. And that's the only baptism we've ever heard. I just want to challenge you to read through. Let me give you, let me give you some, if you want to study this, and I encourage you to, let me give you four in Acts where there's a separate baptism very, very distinctly. This is not water baptism. It's being baptized in water and by the Spirit. Acts 1.4. John 3, 5, and 6, Acts 8, 14 through 17, and Acts 19, 1 through 6. I'm going to repeat those. Acts 1, 4, John 3, 5, and 6, Acts 8, 14 through 17, and Acts 19, 1 through 6. There is a distinct time when people would lay hands. A lot of times it was elders of the church. On rare occasions, it would just be believers. On some occasions, you would see somebody with being laid hands on and praying for the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and then they would get water baptized, but that was very rare. You'd often see the water baptism, and then... Paul addressed it a couple times. Well, have you been baptized in the Spirit? Who's the Spirit? We didn't even know. Oh, well, let's lay there our hands. The Spirit comes in when you accept Christ. Absolutely. He's made you a new creature. It's his new home. But there's something about saying, Lord, I want the baptism of your Spirit, which is an infilling. It's a complete filling. When people are filled to the Holy Spirit and overflowing, there's an incredible intensity in a, in a believer for the Great Commission, for lost souls, that's a big evidence, okay? There, it's, it's just the ultimate empowering. And there might, there might be a manifestation. I, we know that some spoke in tongues. I never have, but there's been other manifestations, just confirmations that, Lord, I want everything you have for me. And let me say, um, Marley and I, we're, we're both elders. We're both ordained ministers. We'd love to just really quick, if you want to come up anytime during the week, we'll just put our hand on your shoulder and say, fill so-and-so with your spirit. 
they desire to be filled completely. We would be honored, okay? It's not a big show. It's just obedience. It's like, thank you, Lord. Just do everything in me you want to do in me. And that's in Scripture. So memorizing Scripture is so key. If you want, what do I memorize? Well, start with the, the, the verses that deal with your common temptations. <laughs> the things that you struggle with the most, start with those verses because when those temptations hit, you can, you don't have your Bible app with you. You know, you just speak out loud those verses that deal with that. And then go into other common areas. Uh, I want to close in prayer. I need to close in prayer. Time is. I'm just going to show you some of the things in my notes. I'm sure you're going to cover them for me, okay? But I appreciate your attention, and um, the last thing I want is for you to learn something from me. I want you to learn something from the Holy Spirit. And if you know He's asked you to do something and, and out of obedience, it might be so small, and you go, oh, that's so small, but do it. Um, but there's a prayer here that I want to read and I want to pray, and then just I want to pray over you right now. Okay, let's bow our heads. Lord, these are parts of me that do not want to understand the spiritual realm because it seems too scary and too foreign. However, I do realize that I'm not where you want me to be. I want to understand what it takes to be victorious. So I ask that you will give me a discerning spirit, and I ask that I can be equipped to become victorious. Open my eyes to see and my ears to hear, and then change me for eternal purposes. I pray for all of us here today, Lord, that we don't take it too heavy and we don't take it too lightly, but we are prepared in season and out of season, as you say, to give an answer. But, Lord, in spiritual warfare, that we would put on the whole armor of God, we would not leave a piece off, that we would know your word more and more. There's people in this room that need a prayer life. Start with me, Lord. Start with me. I want to be more consistent in connecting with you. Give us the hunger, then give us the will and the plan for that. Not legalism just that hunger for you. And a lot of us in this room need just a hunger for your word. Maybe a lot of what we read, we just don't understand. It's dry. We need an infilling of your spirit. We pray for that, Lord. And if there are here uh, some people that are just uncertain that they've ever been baptized in your spirit fully, uh, that this is the week to get all of you all that you have for us. Fill us to overflowing that we may be mighty in your kingdom by your power. I thank you in Jesus' name.